You're listening to Members of the Jury, the show that takes you straight into the trenches of justice, where the passion, players, and consequences are real. Each episode, we examine current events happening in the system. From the battles in courtrooms to the streets demanding reform, we bring those stories here to you, the members of the jury, because we aren't afraid to take it to the box. Welcome back, members of the jury, and happy Freedom Friday. I hope you are having a great end to your week, and I'm wishing you nothing but success going into the weekend. In fact, speaking of success, that is the issue that we are taking to the box today. On this episode of Members of the Jury, we're going to be joined by a Deputy District Attorney, Armando Galvan, who is going to take us inside the mind of a trial attorney. We're going to provide you with our top tips and tricks of the trade. By the end of the show, you will learn how to shape your own personal style and increase the impact on your ability to persuade. Being a successful advocate requires your style to be personal to you because juries are quick to notice imposters or those who are trying to mimic others. To win in a courtroom requires the advocate to be authentic because acting, faking, or pretending will only last so long. Now, before bringing Armando into the conversation, I do want to disclose to all the listeners that Armando and I are really good friends. We went to the same law school, we were teammates on, the, on our trial advocacy program, and he even attended my wedding. And although we are on different sides of the aisle, it is our passion to be the best advocate possible in the courtroom that continuously brings us together and brings the best out of us. And so with that, Armando, please introduce yourself to the members of the jury. Good morning, members of the jury, and happy Freedom Friday. My name is Armando Garvan, and I'm currently a deputy district attorney in the Imperial County District Attorney's Office. I am assigned to the General Felony Unit. And I'm so happy and excited to be a part of the Members of the Jury podcast. Well, Armando, we're super excited that you were willing to join us and, you know, show our listeners that, you know, regardless of what side we're on, when it comes to becoming a better advocate in the courtroom, it's really easy for us to come together and help those who are trying to do that. So I know we've got together and we've discussed some of the tips and tricks that we want to share with our members of the audience. Why don't you start us off by going over or introducing our first tip to them? It is my pleasure, Lucas. I, I think one of the, uh, and I think, I think it will be like the most important tip of the day. And um, I, I'm sure you will concur with me, but I think it is key and essential to be prepared before going to trial. And by that, I mean, you have to be organized. You have to have your case already known left to right. I think one of the most important things as a lawyer and even as a you know, law student, as uh, a so trial attorney, is that you have to be prepared. You have to have your case organized. You have to know what you're going to do when you are in front of the jury panel. That's a given that you don't want to go in just kind of winging it, that we've had years of experience in you know, law school of training. You know, that's one of the things judges always tell 
clients, at least from our point of view, when they're trying to represent themselves and maybe go pro se is that, you know, you have to realize that if we grant this and allow you to go pro se that you're going to be going up against a skilled prosecutor who went to law school who had this kind of training. And, you know, it's so there's a lot of that goes into being prepared. And I think people realize, I think that's a great starting off point, because Everybody knows that in trial, there's always going to be a a what the shit moment or what the fuck moment. And, you know, those who are prepared are going to be able to better better handle, handle those situations and make the best out of it. And so I know that when I'm teaching my students, one of the key facts or key methods that I teach them in, in helping them be prepared is to ensure that they know every fact of their case better than the opponent. Because at the end of the day, if that happens, then no matter what, they'll be able to respond or figure out how to get out of that situation. And so I could wholeheartedly agree with you that being prepared is one of the top crucial tips. And I actually think that part of that preparation is what leads us into our second tip, which is being able to think from different perspectives. As a lawyer or anybody who's trying to get up in front of a group of individuals and persuade them, it's really critical that that speaker has taken the time to think of what they're about to say from multiple perspectives and how it is going to be received. And that couldn't be more true than when you're in a criminal courtroom because there are so many different dynamics that are happening with the case that are then trying to be explained to the members of the jury. So go ahead, Armando, and let our members of the jury know like why that would be so beneficial and important to a prosecutor to be able to think from different perspectives. I think, um, Lucas, that you know one of the key reasons you want to anticipate and 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 think as a defense counsel at least on on my end in, in in my position as a prosecution as a prosecutor i think you have to know you know the weaknesses in your case right because eventually i mean you cannot hide those weaknesses in your case when you when you when you're going to go to trial you have to know, you know, this is, this is, you know, the element of, just for example, driving under the influence case. You know, I have uh, the VAC 0.08 and above. I have the impairment element, but maybe I don't have the driving element, right? It's, it's contested. And that's where, you know, the uh, defense counsel, it's going to focus his opening statement, his evidentiary issues and his closing statements. I had cases where I did not have the driving element. The defendant wasn't uh, seen driving any vehicle. And there were no witnesses to testify as to the element of driving the car, which is moving, a volitional movement of the car, correct? And so I was struggling and I was brainstorming on how could I prove that element? How can I make the members of the jury conclude with circumstantial evidence that that element has been satisfied. But most importantly, how is the defense counsel gonna argue in favor of that element? If you don't think that way before going to trial, before you know prepping your case, 
before announcing ready, you're going to have a hard time and you're going to, you know, encounter surprises that you don't want to face in the middle of a trial. That's why it's essential and it's very important to know your case, know every single fact, but also know and anticipate what the defense counsel um, argument is going to be and what the evidence will prove based on, on the defendant's side of the, of the story on their case in chief. You know, you said something that was super important in there that is just so crucial. And that's the highlighting of the bad facts. You know, you mentioned it, that the bad facts are going to come out. And obviously the attorney wants to try to minimize the impact that those bad facts have. But almost every case is going to be comprised of some kind of bad facts. And being able to think from other perspectives as to how those bad facts are going to be received is super important. Because if you're able to potentially soften the blow of how those facts come across, or even spin them in a way that doesn't actually make them come across as a bad fact, if you're able to give the explanation up front, or just paint a better picture. And so that was really important because it's the bad facts of a case that can, at the end of the day, come down to making or breaking it. And being able to think from that different perspective on how a, f- a certain fact can come across is so important when delivering any kind of evidence surrounding that fact. So I, I think that that's a really good insight. I know that takes us to our next tip. Why don't you go ahead and break that down for the members of the jury? Lucas. I think the next tip, one of the, again, one of the most important tips that I can uh, relate to our audience is tell a story, telling story. Telling a story, it's very important because especially during your openings and closing arguments, I believe that when you stand up and start talking to the members of the jury, you want to do it in a way that you captivate them, capture their attention, focus their attention on you, on your story, on your case. And believe it or not, I mean, a lot of the attorney, I mean, a lot of attorneys fall into this routine, for lack of a better term, I guess, a style of, you know, using fancy words, you know, I mean, legal terms, they lack, you know, that element of, you know, telling a story, talking to just, you know, lay people. Because at the end of the, of the day, uh, the members of the jury are lay people who don't know, I mean, most of them don't know, you know, about uh, legal terms or, or elements and, and the terms that we usually often use during trial or when you're just at a motion hearing. But I think you just want to tell a story to them so that you can, you know, grab their attention. Basically, uh, just tell the facts in a manner that it will, you know, make them engage in the case, make part of, you know, the case, want to be there. You just want to grab their attention. Armando, you said uh, you make a good point in that you don't want to really talk in legalese and lack of a better term, lawyer talk. But as a prosecutor who bears the burden of a case in any criminal case, who has to explain, we know that the judge is going to give the 
explanation of the law and jurors, uh, their instructions. But it's the prosecutor's role to really break down the law into elements, as you were mentioning, and how the facts presented so into and satisfy those elements. What's a way you find yourself breaking down that law text and elements into a way that is easier for the members of the jury to better understand? One way that I really find effective for them to understand the the elements per se or or you know the law is by giving them definitions in simple words okay for example i can uh, really remember one of the cases that i defined driving but it was evolutional movement of the car right and everyone knows you know the definition of driving you know it's you know movement of the car volitionally means voluntary Right. So I think that I, I would just, you know, give them, you know, a simple definition of, of the element of which are, you know, most of them found in jury instructions. But I let them know and I repeat them as I go on my evidentiary portion and I use them and I make them, you know, be familiarized with, with those terms that, you know, sometimes they've never heard of them before. For you know, being you know in, in the trial, but this is one of the uh, the most effective ways that I you know get them to know about you know these terms. Another thing that I find really effective is setting examples for them. For example, one of the terms that I you know heart a little bit you know more difficult for them to define and to understand is circumstantial evidence and direct evidence, right? Which Obviously, we all have to overcome and show, you know, either or. So I cannot tell them, you know, example of what circumstantial evidence, right? And I give them an example of, and, and, and maybe not only one, but multiple examples of, you know, direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. And I show them examples using actually, you know, the courtroom in which where we are, or maybe, you know, someone sitting by my side or, you know, examples. And I'm pretty sure you're familiarized with all of those examples, but it helps them and it kind of engage them in, in this, in all these legalese and, and all these, you know, difficult terms that, you know, we're used to, to them, but most of the people um, are not. So I, there's multiple techniques and, and I think we can talk about, you know, this specific tip for, you know, hours and hours, but that's essentially what I, what I do. Obviously, you can have different ones, and I've seen a lot of them. This is what, what has worked for me in the past, but I guess, yeah, I have more to learn and understand, of course. Well, the essence of what you were talking about is super true. I mean, being able to relay your case via a story is going to be so much more impactful to the members of the jury and more engaging and entertaining for them to follow. I think one of the most common feedback of juror participation or the lack of excitement surrounding jury duty is that there's boredom or they're bored during the process. So for an advocate to be able to hone in on their skills and develop better abilities to storytell, you're going to have more success in being able to keep your jurors engaged and paying attention which is super important in any trial, especially in criminal law, because of the substance of what you're talking about. So 
being able to come across as reasonable and someone that's conveying a logical story, those are the attorneys who tend to have success in the courtroom. A hundred percent. And then one of the things that I also learned and that, you know, helps to deliver a story is using using different tones of voice, right? Um, you just don't want to be like on this, you know, same tone and, and keeping everyone like really engaged on, on you know, something that is really important and you want to make emphasis on. And, but, you know, that different levels of, you know, tone and, and being a little bit dramatic and, you know, being a little bit more quiet sometimes. I guess that I found that really effective in telling a story and having just a conversation, a casual conversation with the members of the jury in order to engage them in your side of the story. And which essentially you want to, you know, make them believe on your side of the story, make them believe, you know, your position. And and, and in my case, the people of the state of California. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's you know has been effective at least on my end that was a nice little nugget that i think you gave the members of the jury in addition to being able on how to tell an effective story one of the best ways is variations of not only your voice and fluctuation but your positioning in the courtroom but you want to make sure that you're doing those things in a way in which they're obviously engaging but not overly distracting one of the First things that we teach in our trial advocacy program is that when you're up before a jury or any group of people, you don't want to catch yourself walking back and forth like a caged tiger because that's distracting and it causes your listeners to not pay attention. And a good way to add voice in fluctuations throughout any presentation is the four pillars that we always focus on, which is at some point in any given presentation, you want to add a section that has you talking high, a section that has you talking low, a section that has you talking fast, and a section that has you talking slow. If you're able to appropriately incorporate those variations to how you're speaking, that's going to keep the attention of the members of the jury. So I think those were two super important nuggets that you gave. I know the other one you mentioned when you brought up circumstantial evidence was just that ability to bring up analogies or create pictures of real life situations and how they can and how that can be helpful when looking at the law. One of the greatest examples I think of those especially from the defense side is when trying to explain, you know, the burden of reasonable doubt. One of my favorite uh, versions of that explanation was from uh, one of my mentors who said basically the way you want to look at reasonable doubt is put yourself in an airplane and you're getting ready to go skydiving and all of the evidence that has been presented to you is the parachute and so you have to ask yourself based on that evidence do you feel comfortable to jump right because it's that's the level of certainty that we're looking at for beyond a reasonable doubt because there is no numerical value that can be placed on reasonable doubt. It's just what they say is a abiding conviction. And that's where the ability to storytell is because we don't really know what that means. We understand that there's a legal definition in a term that says, you know, a decision that you have certain, uh, a decision you have certainty in and someone who is about to go parasailing or excuse me someone who's about to go skydiving definitely wants to have a certainty in their parachute 
So really good stuff right there in being able to tell a story. I think that's a great also segue to one of our other tips, especially when it comes to that storytelling portion, is making sure you're conveying yourself with confidence. So why don't you break that down for the members of the jury in how that's such an important part of the trial. Believing in your case, it's a key element in being confident on, on your case, right? Why? Because, because you've worked already so hard and, and, and believe it or not, by the time you are trying the case in front of jury panel in front of the judge and, and, and you have your defense counsel next to you and you have the defendant and then you have your investigator, um, you know already your case. You know it, believe it or not, you've studied it, you've, you know, done motions, you have talked to witnesses, talked to um, investigators. So you already know your case. And, and, and it's, it's a matter of, you know, confidence when you stand up in front of them and start delivering those words. I believe believing in your case on, you know, any position, if you, I'm talking, I'm not only talking as a prosecutor, but as a defense attorney, I believe whenever you stand up in front of the uh, jury members, members of the jury, you want to convey a sense of security, a sense of confidence, a sense of trustworthiness, right? And you only achieve that if you're passionate about, you know, uh, the case that you're trying. I think, you know, and, and I've seen you, Lucas, uh, during mock trial competitions and you've seen me. I guess being, you know, having that passion, having that, you know, rush of blood uh, that, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, you have fast heartbeat and, 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 and you have that interest in improving the case the way you want to you want the jury to conclude and you show them and you actually you know make the best of it you make sometimes things do not come the way you want to be um especially when, when when you don't expect certain things to come in into evidence but i guess if if they see you you know with that passion and and you talk to them and frankly honest and you just deliver the way that deliver the case in a way that uh, they see you, you know, talking and, and, and showing uh, evidence and questioning witnesses, I think they'll see that confident, confidence in you. And even if you, if you stop in, in, in some of the, uh, of the things that, you know, during the trial, uh, that's perfectly, perfectly fine because we're not all perfect. We're human beings at the end of, of, of the day. And, I believe that if you believe in your case, if you're passionate about what you're doing, if you are confident that 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 the way you're doing it is the the correct way, uh, regardless of 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 you know of what's you know who's right or who's wrong, I think uh, that you will convey that to the members of your jury. I think that believing in your case is crucial, and as a trial attorney, you have to do it i mean essentially to believe in your position and what you're doing you know one of the things we teach or say especially on the subject of confidence is that when you're presenting the only person who really knows that you messed up is you until you show it 
because no one knows what you're supposed to say. No one knows what you've written down. No one knows the behind the scenes. And so if you're able to compose yourself confidently, and of course we're going to stumble, of course we're going to make mistakes. And, and jurors are okay with that. Jurors like to see that their advocates before them are human and that mistakes happen. It's how do you recover from those mistakes that separate the skilled trial attorneys from the rest? And being able to hone in that confidence is a really crucial part in doing that. I know, I don't know from the prosecutor's side of view, but from the defense point of view, we definitely rely heavy on what we call trial psychosis, where we grab onto any and all small facts that can weigh into our favor and really try to convince ourselves and really do convince ourselves that that can have a bigger impact than sometimes it ultimately has in the end. But if we don't have that confidence and the ability to persuade ourselves, then there's no way we should be able to expect to persuade a members of the jury. So I think having that confidence is, is really one of my more important uh, tips and tricks if I were to highlight one, because obviously a lot of stuff can fall under that. But the biggest thing is just showing off that, you know, you have confidence in your case. You have confidence from our point of view in our client because jurors read into all of that. There's so many other things that are happening in the courtroom that members of the jury are paying attention to that can matter. And at the end of the day, if you're always doing things confidently, that's going to have a, a better effect in the long run than I think it, if you have a lack of confidence. Well, Armando, we're wrapping up our list for today on this beautiful Freedom Friday. Why don't you go ahead and introduce the last tip that we have for our members of the jury? So wrapping up the list, I think the uh, next tip that I can provide to the members of the jury, it's one that I remember being taught to us by uh, one of our mock trial professors. You want to use your evidence in, in your favor, uh, correct? You want to, you know, you want to give the members of the jury something to play with, to look at, to touch. Right. I think one of uh, that's one of the most efficient ways that you can prove your case and that you can, you know, get a result that you want, regardless of your 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 position as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. But one of the most efficient ways that you know you get either you get also uh, the uh, members of the jury engaged into your case, but you want to give them something besides testimony and something besides closing arguments or opening statements, right? You want to give them and 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 have them look at you know evidence evidence and and exhibits, correct? So, for example, if you have a, you know, uh, driving or the, under the influence uh, uh, case, give them uh, the MBARS, which is, you know, the, the videos on the police vehicle. You want to give them the body cam. You want to give them the 911 call, for example, if there's uh, something other than uh, DUI, maybe. Uh, you want to, if you have a, a DV case, domestic violence case, uh, you want to show uh, the members of the jury the pictures of the injuries, the crime scene. Uh, you want to give them the murder weapon if you have a, uh, a homicide, correct? You want to, you know, uh, set the scene 
you know, you want to create this scenario, you want to paint the picture to the members of the jury so that they can feel, I mean, even if you, you know, even if they were not there, even if they're hearing this uh, case for the first time, you want to make them feel like they have witnessed and that they've heard and they've seen every single relevant civet. That's something that I that I find uh, really efficient in again proving the case for purposes of doing trials. You want to you know show them what you have access to. Obviously, you're gonna have to uh, overcome some objections, of course, and you are not gonna get everything that you have. Okay, that's that's something that you just have to deal with. And uh, it might not be your problem. It might be some, you know, problem due to, you know, uh, the investigators or, uh, you know, some of the uh, accuracy or maybe, you know, chain of custody or relevance and all of that, that uh, it's really important as a trial attorney to know how to argue and how, how to get learn how to get in. But at the end of the day, whatever you can admit into evidence even if it's minimal find a way how to use them to your advantage find a way how to attach it to the story make it relevant make make it so that at the end of the day that that could serve and and that could impact the members of the jury even if it's minimal um, I can think of something that can be that really minimal if you, you know, argue everything already, like motions and eliminate and everything like that. But I mean, if you if it's in, it's because it's relevant, of course. But regardless, if you think that it's not really, you know, important, I think it's just, you know, if you have the opportunity to get it in, go ahead and do it. And um, it's something that the members of the jury will remember and hopefully they can have access when they are deliberating in the box. You know, Armando, I think that's a great final tip for today's episode, that you want to use as much of the evidence to your advantage as possible. You know, jurors love visuals and physical evidence that they can connect with. And videos also allow them to put themselves potentially at the scene of the crime or, you know, just get that different perspective that, Kind of like what we were talking about earlier, being able to think from different perspectives. And if you have pieces of evidence that allow the members of the jury to do that, that can be super impactful on your case. From a defense's point of view, you the lack of evidence can also be really beneficial. Something that can be highlighted, for example, in a domestic violence case is if the allegation and the testimony suggest a lot of injuries, but in the pictures that have been presented, there's an inconsistency between what was alleged and what would the result of that allegation was. You know, if the victim is alleging that they were punched five times in the face, then one would expect there to be some kind of visualization representation that would be consistent with that. And if there's not, well, that's a area of doubt that me and probably most other defense attorneys would try to highlight because there's that's an inconsistency. And anytime you have inconsistencies, that's what we like to heavily rely on when trying to raise doubt in any kind of question. And so 
that's where evidence can be super key on both sides. You know, defense definitely want to do the same thing. You know, we want to get evidence that's beneficial before for our clients to the members of the jury so they can have a a way of engaging with it that's kind of from our client's point of view, whether that be, you know, a certain piece of testimony or the body-worn camera from a police officer. So it's really crucial to use the evidence wisely because that is going to be some of the most engaging things that you can have with your jury. And if you've learned probably anything from this episode, even though it's not one of our enumerated tips, it's that you want to make sure that your jury is engaged and paying attention because that boosts the jury experience and hopefully, you know, is a positive experience for others to then go forward and be optimistic when going to jury duty. And you also get the best result from that juror when they're engaged. So we hope that these tips and tricks have been super knowledgeable for the members of the jury on this episode. We are going to subject our prosecutor to the same question we ask all of our guests here on members of the jury. And that's Armando. At the end of the day, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, what would you say is the importance of taking it to the box? I think... You know, that's a really important question. Something that's the goal, you know, as, a, as, a, as an attorney. And I'm not married to, and to any site, Lucas. I understand you, your guys' burden and, and position as well as I think you guys understand the prosecution side. But I think the whole purpose of taking the case to the box and, and doing what we do is to promote and somehow make justice, right? At the end of the day, if I don't you know, get a guilty verdict, at the end of the day, I know that I made the best of the case and argue you know, to the best of my abilities. But at the end of the day, if I don't get the results that I wanted, I know that justice was done. I... I can sleep, you know, confident that justice was done because if I wasn't able to convince, you know, 12 members of the jury, uh, that means that I really didn't have a case. So I think the whole purpose of, you know, taking the case to trial and as you said, taking the case to the box, it's to promote that to, you know, get, give our community and, you know, the people of any state the, the hope and the sense that justice still exists and that our, our criminal justice system still works, you know, and that, you know, we're still, you know, people fighting for people's rights, uh, victims' rights, and, you know, promote justice. Really beautifully said, Armando. Really beautifully said. Well, we appreciate you so much for coming on our show, being a guest for the members of the jury, and sharing such valuable inside tips and tricks. We hope that you would be willing to come back on the show again in the future. We love having you. I love you, my brother. And again, just thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity, uh, Lucas, um, and I appreciate what you are doing, you know, educating our listeners, and I'll be happy to join you guys for any episode of Members of the Jury. 
Well, members of the jury, that's our show, and I rest my case. Be sure to come back next episode as we take another matter to the box. If you're a fan of the show, go ahead and subscribe. You can also find us on social media at members of the jury. If you want to be a guest or have any feedback, be sure to email us at lhursty at membersofthejurypod.com. The information in this podcast is provided as general reference work as a public service. The audience is advised to check for changes to current laws and to consult with a qualified attorney on any legal issue. The use of this material does not create an attorney-client privilege in any fashion with the podcast, the host, or the guest. This information is for educational purposes only, and no one affiliated with the podcast may be held liable for any decision made based on this information.